It is believed that she was born Loretta Mary Aiken between 1894 and 1897 in Brevard, North Carolina. This three-year gap exists because she was never forthcoming about her actual age. What we do know is that both of her parents died when she was young, leaving her grandmother to be her primary guardian. Later, she would mention her grandmother in her stand-up routines, telling of the elder woman's significance in her upbringing. She lived a hard life, and by bringing elements of her hardships into the public sphere by way of her comedy, she spoke to and for women in her audiences that had experienced similar tragedies of sexual violence and disgrace. Essential to her success was her development of the mom's stand-up persona in the 1940s, a walking contradiction, moms came across as a harmless, bumbling grandmother figure, visually reminiscent of a southern mammy, but with all the sass and energy of a trickster. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, comedians, and speaking the truth. I'm your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin, and on this episode, we continue our exploration into stand-up comedians with the groundbreaking and legendary Jackie. Moms Mabley. Quote, as long as I can run, I'm going to say what I want to say. End quote. Four decades before Jackie Mabley was making $10,000 a week touring around the United States as a stand-up comic in the 1960s, she ran away from her home in the South to pursue show business. She grew up in the historically impoverished Anacostia section of Washington, D.C., and later moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Young Jackie Mabley was among the waves of men and women who moved to the romanticized North to escape violence and seek education and employment opportunities. A possible reason for this migration up the northern coast may have been an escape from the oppressive relationship with her abusive stepfather. It was around 1910 she joined a traveling vaudeville troupe led by the famous married comedy duo Jody Butterbeans and Susie Edwards. Butterbeans and Susie, as they were known, toured around the theater owner's booking association, TOBA, also known as the Chitlin Circuit, a loose association of segregated theaters across the South, performing their husband and wife-themed song and tap routines. Being between 13 and 16 years old, Mabley joined the group of vaudeville performers and honed her singing, acting, and tap dancing skills. It was here that she got her start, participating in sketches focused on the dynamics of gender and marriage. Such setups allow the comedians to parody domestic life and relationships between men and women, tackling everything from sex to rearing children. Now, just like with the comedies of today's entertainment, the subjects that proved to be the most popular were the kinds which audiences could relate to. A legend has it that it was Butterbeans and Susie who encouraged young Mabley to strike out on her own in New York City, claiming that she was too gifted to work for only $14 a week as a part of their act. She attributed her first stage name, Jackie Mabley, to her fellow performer and boyfriend, Jack Mabley, explaining with her usual humor, He took a lot out of me. The least I could do was take the name. 
Her life and career path was considerably shaped by the cultural activism that permeated Harlem in the 1920s and which manifested itself in the phenomenon known as the Harlem Renaissance. The Harlem artist community was a vibrant hodgepodge of writers, actors, dancers, singers, poets, musicians, visual artists, and comedians living, writing, and performing in the same circles. The Harlem Renaissance bred numerous artists, among them Langston Hughes, whom you can learn more about on episode 17 of our show. And by the 1940s, Mabley had found her latest character, the one which would last her a lifetime and beyond. Performing stand-up comedy, she dressed herself in oversized shoes, mismatched clothing, and a floppy hat. Outfitted as such, she identified as only moms, Moms Mabley. Moms would swagger onto the stage, sending compliments and winks to any young man she laid her eyes upon, while simultaneously assuming a grandmotherly persona and referring to her audiences as her children. But years before she appeared as the solo act Moms, she performed as the rich aunt from Utah in venues around New York. This role, where she played an outlandish older woman character, was a predecessor to the Moms persona. By combining comedy with song and dance, she began performing the routine in colored reviews. It would not have shocked audiences for her to perform in blackface during the 1920s, but as the social and political climate changed, she shed blackface in favor of the mom's persona and never again performed in blackface once she began to gain prominence in the 1940s and 1950s. And to complete the mom's persona, Mabley adopted a lower, gravelly voice, bulged her eyes, and moved stiffly. Each of these actions signified various elements prominent in black entertainment of the time, such as childishness, fear, and wonderment. When she emphasized these elements, she emulated a respectable mammy figure while contrasting her image with the foolish, energetic playfulness. She looked wise and dumb at the same time which would prove to be her greatest power. A comparatively young woman when she created Moms Mabley, she took on the outfit of a grandmother figure, but as she grew older, growing with the character, she further emphasized her character's age by making a point of taking her dentures out. By talking through her gums and using boisterous gestures, Mom strategically used unattractiveness as a means to assuming power through her humor. With her bulging eyes and unattractive appearance, she produced a comforting mammy trope that had soothed Southern families and American audiences since the antebellum United States, and which further allowed her to make derogatory jokes about it. Questioned later about her inspiration for her stage persona, she credited two people, her brother-in-law, Eddie Parton, who encouraged her to create the character, and her grandmother, who inspired the details of the act. Mabley composed her mom's persona through clothing, mannerisms, and physical alterations to her body. She donned baggy, mismatched, ill-fitting dresses that had loud patterns and frumpy jackets. She accessorized this look with oversized shoes, colorful stockings, and lacy bonnets. 
through mom's unstylish clothing, Mabley satirized the importance of clothing as a marker of class distinction. She also brilliantly subverted this beloved asexual maternal black female figure in manners that allowed her to gain her audience members' trust as well as their ear, to perform in unladylike manners and comment on decidedly unladylike matters. When she posed the oft-used stage question, how you like mom's dress, the audience laughed. She would deliver this line with a wide smile and a hint of irony, likely adding a very visible wink to a young man in the front row. As the laughter died down, she would then present her punchline. You can get some real nice things with them green stamps, you know that? With this one, the audience would explode with laughter. She had just pointed out a reality about people on welfare and also a pervasive stereotype about black individuals' reliance on it. It was a joke that might have offended coming from another person, but through the mom's persona, it was swallowed wholesomely. The mom's persona also allowed her to explore the stark opposite to her own private life. On stage, moms consistently bragged about her sexual encounters. Now, despite her efforts to occupy a grandmotherly asexual form on stage, she never played up her messy, shapeless clothing and lack of teeth as a sign to imply that she was unable to find sexual partners. On the contrary, she bragged about her sexual appetite for young men and her ability to land contemporary male celebrities. For instance, she opened many of her routines with the now classic line, now mom's been getting accused of liking young men, and I'm guilty, and I'm gonna get guiltier. Her jokes, particularly the more sexually loaded ones, challenged contemporary norms that dictated that women should hide their sexuality and certainly not prey on younger men. She managed to walk with apt balance on the tightrope of her character, remaining harmless, at least on the surface, and then suddenly surprising her audience with a controversial claim. Her audience could not help but laugh at the gap between the grandmother on stage and her matter-of-fact claims about her sexual promiscuity. In private, however, Jackie Mabley was a lesbian who had come out when she was 27 years old. Norma Miller, one of Mabley's longtime colleagues, explained once that she and her friends never called Mabley gay or homosexual, Rather, they called her Mr. Moms. As such, Moms allowed for an exploration into aspects that were, although risque, more acceptable for the likes of the NAACP and wouldn't discourage their public sponsorship of her. Offstage, she dressed in fedoras and silk shirts. However, promotional material was never photographed with this look. Based on newspaper articles that document Mabley's career, it is difficult to state whether she consciously kept her sexuality hidden or if journalists simply did not venture into the topic for whatever reason. Through her self-depreciating visual appearance and performance, she enjoyed the liberty to speak out because, thanks to her fashion choices, which remained steeply rooted in vaudeville traditions, she appeared not to be transgressing her so-called place in society. As stated by comedian Arsenio Hall in Whoopi Goldberg's documentary about Mabley, she hid her intelligence behind the costume and snuck a message in the back door. With the costume, 
she had the license to say what she wanted. And when interviewed by a Chicago journalist, Mom said, I designed all my outfits. They're what a small-town lady would wear shopping. Although she was aware of current fashions, she said, I dress to suit myself. I don't wear girdles or rosiers. I believe in letting everything go. She chuckled and then added, I'm modern, but not modern enough to wear a miniskirt. I don't want my behind to freeze. Another fact included in the interview was an alternative to where the name Moms originated. The show people gave me that name. Once in Indianapolis, I came across a young performer who was so tired and undernourished, he collapsed on the stage. I took care of him, and from then on, I was known as Moms. Like with several aspects of Mabley's life, one must choose what to believe and put the puzzle together in the order which appears most reasonable to oneself. Through her fashioning of moms, Jackie Mabley managed to evade media controversy about her political views, sexuality, and representation of the modern black woman. With finesse and candor, she exploited the character to speak candidly on topics off-limit to most women, regardless of color. Her albums were marketed then and are still remembered as dirty records. These were the records that children would sneak away to listen to, hidden from their parents. The same records their parents would play when they had the right company over. The very same records that should still be kept alive in the interest of the history of comedy. As usual, let us end this episode with a final quote from the legend herself. The teenagers aren't all bad. I love them if nobody else does. There ain't nothing wrong with young people. Just quit lying to them. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemore Harden. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash houseofwords or paypal.me slash houseofwordspodcast. Alternatively, you can subscribe and encourage others to subscribe to our YouTube page, House of Words Podcast. Every little bit helps more than you might think. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden. <laughs>